Hello everyone, I'm Kathleen Pelly. Welcome to the special omnibus edition of Journey with Story, where you can listen to all of this month's episodes one after the other. And just so you know, there will be no special intro for the individual stories, no added details and no shout-outs. If you want to hear all of those, then you'll need to listen to the individual episodes and not this version. Got it? Oh, mums, dads, grown-ups, you can download some free colouring sheets at our website, www.journeywithstory.com. Let's take an omnibus journey with story. Now, let's take a journey with Hansel and Gretel by the Brothers Grimm. Next to a great forest lived a poor woodcutter with his two children and his wife, who was their stepmother. The boy's name was Hansel and the girl's name was Gretel. The poor woodcutter had but little to eat, and once, when a great famine came to the land, he could no longer provide even a loaf of bread for his wife and children. One evening, as he was lying in bed worrying about his problems, he sighed and said to his wife, Oh, what is to become of us? How can we feed our children when... We have nothing for ourselves. Husband, do you know what? Answered the woman. Early tomorrow morning, we will take the children out into the thickest part of the woods, make a fire for them, and give each of them a little piece of bread. Then leave them by themselves and go off to our work. They will not find their way back home and we will be rid of them. Oh, no, wife, said the man. I will not do that. How could I bring myself to abandon my own children alone in the woods? Wild animals would soon come and tear them to pieces. Oh, you fool, she said. Then all four of us will starve. And she gave him no peace until he finally gave in to her wishes, wailing. But what is to become of my poor son and daughter? Now it happened that both the children had not been able to fall asleep because of their hunger, and they heard what the stepmother had said to their father. Gretel cried bitter tears and said to Hansel, Oh, what shall become of us all alone in the woods without dear father? Be quiet, Gretel said Hansel, and don't worry, I know what to do. And as soon as the adults had fallen asleep, he got up, pulled on his jacket, opened the lower door, and crept outside. The moon was shining brightly, and the white pebbles in front of the house were glistening like silver coins. Hansel bent over and filled his jacket pockets with them, as many as would fit. Then he went back into the house and said, Don't worry, Gretel, go to sleep. All will be well. 
Then he went back to bed. At daybreak, even before sunrise, the woman came and woke the two children. Get up, you lazy bones. We are going into the woods to fetch wood. Then she gave each one a little piece of bread, saying, Here is something for midday. Don't eat it any sooner, for you'll not get any more. Gretel put the bread under her apron, because Hansel's pocket were full of stones. Then all together they set out into the woods. After they had walked a little way, Hansel began stopping again and again, looking back toward the house. His father said, Hansel, why are you stopping and looking back? Pay attention now and don't forget your legs. Oh, father, said Hansel, I am looking at my white cat that is sitting on the roof and wants to say goodbye to me. The stepmother said, Oh, you fool, that isn't your cat. That's the morning sun shining on the chimney. But, of course, Hansel had not been looking at his cat. Rather, instead, had been dropping the shiny pebbles from his pocket onto the path. When they arrived in the middle of the woods, the father said, You children, gather some wood and I will make a fire so you won't freeze. Hansel and Gretel together gathered some twigs, a pile as high as a small mountain. The twigs were set afire and when the flames were burning well, the woman said, Lie down by the fire and rest. We will go into the woods to cut sticks. When we are finished, we will come back and get you. Hansel and Gretel sat by the fire. When midday came, each one ate a little piece of bread. Because they could hear the blows of an axe, they thought that their father was nearby. However, it was not an axe. It was a branch that their father had tied to a dead tree and the wind was beating it back and forth. After they had sat there a long time, their eyes grew weary and closed and they fell sound asleep. When they finally woke, it was dark. Gretel began to cry. Oh, how will we get out of the woods? Hansel comforted her. Wait a little until the moon comes up, and then we'll find the way. After the full moon had come up, Hansel took his little sister by the hand. They followed the pebbles that glistened there, like newly minted coins, showing them the way. They walked through the entire night, and as morning was breaking, they arrived at their father's house. They knocked on the door. And when the woman opened it and saw it was Hansel and Gretel, she said, You wicked children, why did you sleep so long in the woods? We thought you did not want to come back. But their father was overjoyed when he saw his children once more, for he had not wanted to leave them alone. Now, not long afterward, there was, once again, a great hunger across the land. And one evening the children heard their stepmother say to her husband, We have eaten up everything. We have only a half a loaf of bread and then we will starve. We must get rid of the children. We will take them deeper into the woods so they will not find their way out again. The man was very disheartened and he said, It would be better to share the last bit with the children. But the woman would not listen to him. 
She scolded him over and over, insisting he do as she said. The children were still awake and had overheard the conversation. When the adults were asleep, Hansel got up again and wanted to gather pebbles as he had done before. But the woman had locked the door and Hansel could not get out. But he comforted his little sister and said, Don't cry, Gretel. Sleep well. God will help us. Early the next morning, the woman came and got the children from their beds. They received their little pieces of bread, even less than the last time. On the way to the woods, Hansel crumbled his piece in his pocket, and every now and then he stood still, throwing the crumbs onto the ground. Hansel, why are you always stopping and looking around? said his father. Keep walking straight ahead. I can see my pigeon sitting on the roof. It wants to say goodbye to me. Fool, said the woman. That isn't your pigeon. That's the morning sun shining on the chimney. But little by little, Hansel dropped all the crumbs onto the path. The woman took them deeper into the woods than they had ever been in their entire life. Once again, a large fire was made. And the stepmother said, Sit here, children. If you get tired, you can sleep a little. We're going into the woods to cut sticks for the fire. We will come and get you in the evening when we are finished. When it was midday, Gretel shared her bread with Hansel, who had scattered his piece along the path. Then they fell asleep and evening passed. But no one came to get them. It was dark when they awoke. And Hansel comforted Gretel and said, Wait, when the moon comes up, I will be able to see the crumbs of bread that I scattered, and they will show us the way back home. When the moon appeared, they got up, but they could not find any crumbs, for the many thousands of birds that fly about in the woods and in the fields had pecked them up. Hansel said to Gretel, we will find our way. But they did not find it. They walked through the entire night and the next day from morning until evening, but they did not find their way out of the woods. They were terribly hungry, for they had eaten only a few small berries that were growing on the ground. And because they were so tired, their legs would no longer carry them. They lay down under a tree, and fell asleep. It was already the third morning since they had left their father's house. They started walking again, but managed only to go deeper and deeper into the woods. If help did not come soon, they would perish. At midday, they saw a little snow-white bird sitting on a branch. It sang so beautifully that they stopped to listen. When it was finished, it stretched its wings and flew in front of them. They followed it until they came to a little house. The bird sat on the roof, and when they came closer, they saw that the little house was built entirely from bread, with a roof made of cake, and the windows were made of clear sugar. Let's help ourselves to a good meal, said Hansel. 
I'll eat a piece of the roof, and Gretel, you eat from the window. That will be sweet. Hansel reached up and broke off a little of the roof to see how it tasted, while Gretel stood next to the window panes and was nibbling at them. Then a gentle voice called out from inside. Nibble, nibble, little mouse, who is nibbling at my house? The children answered, The wind, the wind. They continued to eat without being distracted. Hansel, who very much liked the taste of the roof, tore down another large piece, and Gretel poked out an entire round windowpane. Suddenly, the door opened, and a woman as old as the hills and leaning on a crutch came creeping out. Hansel and Gretel were so frightened that they dropped what they were holding in their hands. But the old woman shook her head and said, Oh, you dear children, who brought you here? Just come in and stay with me. No harm will come to you. She took them by the hand and led them into her house. Then she served them a good meal, milk and pancakes with sugar, apples and nuts. Afterwards, she made two nice beds for them, decked in white. Hansel and Gretel went to bed, thinking they were in heaven. But the old woman had only pretended to be friendly. She was, in fact, a wicked witch who was lying in wait there for children. She had built her house of bread only in order to lure them to her, and if she captured one, she would cook him and eat him. And for her, that was a day to celebrate. Now witches have red eyes and cannot see very far, but they have a sense of smell like animals, and they know when humans are approaching. When Hansel and Gretel came near to her, she laughed wickedly and spoke scornfully. I have them. They will not get away from me again. Early the next morning before they awoke, the witch got up, went to the children's beds and looked at the two of them lying there so peacefully with their full red cheeks. Uh, They will be a good mouthful, she mumbled to herself. Then she grabbed Hansel with a withered hand and carried him to a little stall where she locked him behind a cage door. Cry as he might, there was no help for him. Then she shook Gretel and cried, Get up, lazy bones. Fetch water and cook something good for your brother. He is locked outside in the stall and is to be fattened up. When he is fat, I am going to eat him. Gretel began to cry. But it was all for nothing. She had to do what the witch demanded. Now Hansel was given the best things to eat every day, but Gretel received nothing but crayfish shells. Every morning the old woman crept out of the stall and shouted, Hansel, stick out your finger so I can feel if you are fat yet. But Hansel stuck out a little bone, and the old woman who had bad eyes and could not see the bone thought it was Hansel's finger, and she wondered why he did not get fat. 
when four weeks had passed and Hansel was still thin. She was overcome with impatience and would wait no longer. Hey, Goretta, she shouted to the girl. Hurry up and fetch some water. Whether Hansel is fat or thin tomorrow, I am going to slaughter him. Oh, how the poor little sister sobbed as she was forced to carry the water, and how the tears streamed down her cheeks. Oh, dear God, please help us, she cried. If only the wild animals had devoured us in the woods, then we would have died together. Say you're slobbering, said the old woman. It doesn't help you. The next morning, Gretel had to get up early, hang up the kettle with water, and make a fire. First, we are going to bake, said the old woman. I've already made a fire in the oven and kneaded the dough. She pushed poor Gretel outside to the oven, from which fiery flames were leaping. Climb in, said the witch, and see if it's hot enough to put the bread in yet. And when Gretel was inside, she intended to close the oven and bake her and eat her as well. But Gretel saw what the witch had in mind, and so she said, I don't know how to do that. How can I get inside? Stupid ghost, said the old woman. The opening is big enough. See, I myself could get in. And she crawled up and stuck her head into the oven. Gretel gave her a shove, causing her to fall in. Then Gretel closed the iron door and secured it with a bar. The old woman began to howl frightfully, but Gretel ran away, racing to Hansel to unlock his cage. Hansel, we are saved! The old witch is gone! Hansel jumped out like a bird from its cage when someone opens its door. How happy they were! They threw their arms around each other's necks, jumped with joy and kissed one another, because they now had nothing to fear. They went into the witch's house. In every corner were chests of pearls and precious stones. These are better than pebbles, said Hansel, filling his pockets. Gretel said, I will take some home with me as well. And she filled her apron full. But now we must leave, said Hansel, and get out of these witch woods. After walking for a very long time, at last they came to a part of the woods that seemed more familiar to them. And then suddenly, up ahead, they spotted their father's house in the distance. They raced to the door, bolted inside, and threw their arms around their father. He was overjoyed to be with his dear children once more. Some time ago his wife had died and Ever since, he had been longing to see his children's sweet faces again. Gretel shook out her apron, scattering pearls and precious stones around the room, and Hansel added to them by throwing one handful after the other from his pockets. Now they had all they needed to put food on the table and wood on the fire forevermore and to love each other again.
with all their hearts. From that day on, they lived in great peace and contentment. Now, let's take a journey with the owl and the pussycat and the duck and the kangaroo, the owl and the pussycat. The owl and the pussycat went to sea in a beautiful pea-green boat. They took some honey and plenty of money wrapped up in a five-pound note. The owl looked up to the stars above and sang to a small guitar. Oh, lovely pussy, oh, pussy, my love, what a beautiful pussy you are, you are, you are, what a beautiful pussy you are. Pussy said to the owl, you elegant fowl, how charmingly sweet you sing. Oh, let us be married, too long we have tarried. But what shall we do for a ring? They sailed away for a year and day to the land where the bong tree grows. And there in a wood, a piggy wig stood with a ring at the end of his nose, his nose, his nose, with a ring at the end of his nose. Dear pig, are you willing to sell for one shilling your ring? Said the piggy, I will. So they took it away and were married next day by the turkey who lives on the hill. They dined on mince and slices of quince which they ate with a runcible spoon. And hand in hand on the edge of the sand, they danced by the light of the moon. The moon, the moon, they danced by the light of the moon. The Duck and the Kangaroo Said the duck to the kangaroo Good gracious, how you hop over the fields and the water too As if you never would stop My life is a bore in this nasty pond And I long to go out in the world beyond I wish I could hop like you said the duck to the kangaroo. Please give me a ride on your back, said the duck to the kangaroo. I would sit quite still and say nothing but quack the whole of the long day through. And we'd go the dee and the jelly lee over the land and over the sea. Please take me a ride, oh do, said the duck to the kangaroo. 
said the kangaroo to the dog. This requires some little reflection. Perhaps on the whole it might bring me luck. And there seems but one objection, which is, if you'll let me speak so bold, your feet are unpleasantly wet and cold and would probably give me the rheumatiz, said the kangaroo. Said the duck, as I sit on the rocks, I have thought over that completely, and I bought four pairs of worsted socks, which fit my web feet neatly, and to keep out the cold, I've bought a cloak, and every day a cigar I'll smoke all to follow my own dear true love of a kangaroo, said the kangaroo, I'm ready all in the moonlight pale, but to balance me well, dear duck, sit steady and quite at the end of my tail. So away they went, with a hop and a bound, and they hopped the whole world three times round. And who's so happy, and who, as the duck and the kangaroo? Let's take a journey with the stolen bairn. Bairn is a Scottish word for a baby or a child. Long, long ago in Scotland, on a mist-covered coast, two tall, dark fairies with pointy ears came across a bundle tucked under the bushes by the cliffs. It was a wee baby babbling and cooing with his little face poking through the blanket. Not a soul was near him. I would like such a beard as this, said one fairy. Aye, said the other looking around. Sure no one is around to stop us. In an instant, the two fairies snatched up the bundle in their withered arms and vanished. Just a few minutes later, sailing by the cliffs, two fishermen noticed the figure of a woman fallen on the rocks, her golden tresses hanging low. "'Tis a lass,' said one. "'But we can't stop here,' said the other, turning the tiller away from the sharp, rocky cliffs near the shore. "'Our boat will surely shatter. "'But look, she must be injured, or worse,' said the first fisherman." We can't just abandon her there. So the two fishermen carefully anchored their boat on the high rocky waters by the cliffs and climbed up the rocks to the lass. Is she still alive? One asked. Aye, said the other, but we'd best get her back to the village. There's not a moment to waste. The woman of the village nursed the young girl with teas of 
fern root and violets steeped in whey. Finally, after many days and nights had passed, the lass opened her eyes. My bairn, she murmured, where's my bairn? Lass, said one of the women, you were found quite alone. At once the girl bolted upright in the bed. <gasps> Nay, I bundled my bed and couldn't safe by the bushes when I went for just a moment to fetch him water. I must have fallen on the rocks. My bed must still be there. The villagers quickly formed a search team and returned to the cliffs. They searched all day long, tramping up and down the path and all around the area, asking everyone they could find but no one knew of a baby that had been found by the cliffs. One of the fishermen had to give the mother the sorry news. Stay here in our village with us, said he. This can be your new home. We have many a fine lad for you to marry. You'll have another bairn before long, no doubt. No, thank you. I know you mean well, but now I must go to find my bairn. So the lass travelled from farm to village, searching and asking everyone she met about her lost baby. With her hair blown about and a wild expression in her eyes, many thought her quite mad and perhaps she was a bit. One day she wandered into a camp full of gypsies. Where is my bairn? Can anyone help me? The girl looked so forlorn and weary. A mother with three young children took pity on her. She bid the lass to come inside her tent. She washed the feet of the visitor and fed her from her own pot. Oh, where is my bairn? was all the girl could say. Alas, I know not, said the young mother. But my grandmother is the wisest woman I know. If anyone can help you find your little one, it is she. So she led the lass to another tent, and inside sat an old, old woman, dressed in black from head to toe. After she heard the lass's sorry tale, the grandmother said nothing, only reached out and clasped the girl's hand in hers. For hours they sat like this, the two of them together, saying nothing. At midnight, the grandmother stood up and selected some herbs from a basket, scattering them over the fire. The fire leaped up, and the smoke that rose from the burning herbs swirled round the old gypsy woman's head. She closed her eyes and listened as the fire burned hot. When it died down, she took the lass's hand again. You must stop searching, poor lass, said the grandmother. For your baby has been stolen away by the fairies. Taken to live with them, he was. It's best you accept it, lass. The fairies are far more powerful than we mortals. The lass was silent. Then she wailed. Oh, if I cannot get back my bed, and I might as well lay down and die. Oh, no, child, urged the old grandmother, tears welling in her eyes. Perhaps, perhaps there is a way. What? 
whispered the lass. A spell. Ah, if only it were that easy, said the old gypsy grandmother. The fairies are a vain people who enjoy rare and beautiful things. But they have no art. If they see something exquisite, something very rare and extraordinary, they will want it. And if you have such an unusual item, you might be able to bargain with them. But it would have to be something without equal anywhere in the world. And I'm afraid you would need two such treasures. One to gain entrance inside the fairy mound where they live, and another to bargain with for your baby. The old woman sighed. Ah, what's more, the time for you to obtain two treasures is short. Oh, if only you had ten years. But the truth is, in ten days, the fairy people will gather together from all corners of the earth to choose a new ruler for the next one hundred years. Your baby is sure to be among them for the event. After that, who knows where your babe might go? And now, she said, there is only one more thing I can do for you. The old gypsy grandmother laid one hand on the girl's head and cast a spell to protect her from fire and earth, wind and water. Unable to do anything more, they bid goodbye. As she set off down the path, hope brimmed in the young lass's heart, for now she knew there was a chance of finding her baby after all. Then suddenly her heart sank as fast as it had soared, for now she realised how impossible it would be for her, penniless as she was, to ever obtain a rare and exotic treasure much less too. Her head spinning, she lay a hand on a tree to steady herself. What items do people speak of in wonder? All she could think of were two legendary items from kings of ancient times, a famous white cloak and a golden stringed harp. Suddenly she knew what she must do and headed straight to the shore where large seabirds called eider ducks nested. On the beach were the fur sheddings from the ducks. Soft, down duck fur that had shed from their breasts and delicate white feathers that had rolled off their wings. She clambered up and down the rocks, gathering the cottony down and the clusters of white feathers. Sharp rocks scraped her feet but did not pierce her skin. The hot sun burnt in the sky but that did not redden her face. The wind splashed the waves on the rocks but her dress and legs stayed dry. Of course, now she knew the spell of the gypsy grandmother was shielding her from the ill effects.
depths of earth and fire, wind and water. The lass gathered all the down and feathers she needed. Then she set to weaving the down into a large cloak. The cloak was so soft and thick that it looked as if a tuft of cloud had been plucked from the sky. Then to decorate a border around the cloak, she wove the delicate white feathers around the edges in three quick strokes. She cut off her long golden hair that had fallen to her waist. Setting aside one strand of her locks for later, she took the rest and wove the strands into the feathered border, making golden flowers and leaves all glimmering and resplendent. Day and night she worked, for there was not a moment to lose. After she had stitched the final stitch, she carefully folded the soft white cloak, laid it under a shrub, and returned to the seashore. Searching the sandy beach, the lass looked for the right shape of bones to make a frame for a heart. Luckily, she discovered an arc of bone that had been washed by the waves and made so smooth that it resembled ivory. Taking the bone back to the shrub, she tied it together to make a frame for a heart. From the lock of hair she had set aside before, she braided each of her tiny hairs into thin strands, then twisted several thin strands together to form strong, elegant strings for the heart. She stretched the strings tight and set them in tune. When she plucked a note, it was so full of longing and grief that even the birds flying out to the sea stopped in mid-air for a moment and cocked their heads to listen. The lass wrapped her cloak around her shoulders, held the harp to her chest and set out to the mound where the fairies were known to live. As she travelled, villagers stepped aside for her to pass by, not wanting to disturb her quest. And so she continued along the high road and the by-road, her eyes fixed straight ahead. At last, as the moon rose full, she reached the entrance of the fairy mound. She spread her billowing cloak upon the path and stepped aside. Before long, a fairy strode toward her. The fairy pointed at her. You? No humans are allowed here. Leave at once. The fairy noticed the white cloak. Hmm, she said. Find us keepers. And she stooped for it. Nay, said the lass. It's mine. You cannot have it. She quickly snatched the cloak from the ground, cleverly wrapping it round her shoulders so it swirled around her body, its folds glimmering in the sun and its golden threads shining. Mortal, don't be a fool. I'll give you a handful of gold for it. This cloak is not for sale. It is embroidered with my own golden hair and there's none like it in the world. No amount of gold? scoffed the fairy. You make me laugh. Oh, you humans, crumble at the first glint of gold. Very well, 
I'll fill your pockets with gold and all you can hold in your arms. There, are you satisfied now? The cloak is not for sale for any amount of gold, she repeated, nor for any regular price. What then? said the fairy, sensing a bargain could be struck. Take me with you inside the fairy mound, then the cloak will be yours and you're welcome to it. What a fool, mumbled the fairy, but she took the last by the hand and together they entered the fairy mound. Once inside, the fairy snatched the soft white cloak from the lass's shoulders and the girl let it go with a smile. Glancing back, she saw the fairy showing off the cloak and a crowd of other tall, dark fairies surrounding her, touching it, begging to be allowed to try it on. Please, just once. But the lass headed straight forward, harp in hand, until she spied at the edge of the mound a high throne. Sitting on the throne was a tall, sharp-eared creature, with his eyebrows deep cast into a frown. She realised he must be the new king of the fairies. Boldly, she marched forward. You dare to approach the throne? growled the king. How did you, a human, get inside the fairy mound? The lass pointed to the fairy who had let her through. The king frowned. And what have you there? said he, nodding to the harp she clutched to her breast. It is my harp, said she. I have harps a plenty, shrugged the king. Not like this, said the lass, and she plucked a few chords, ringing notes so pure and clear that the king stared in wonder. You offer this as a gift for me, the new king of the fairies. This harp might be a gift under the right circumstance, the lass said quickly. It's not for sale for any usual price. It's not but a common harp, and you know it, shrugged the king. You think too much of your little toy. Then he cunningly added, But I could take it off your hands. What do you want for it? The harp is beyond price, said the lass. It's woven from my own golden hair. There's none like it in the world. There's only one trade of interest to me. The king arched one eyebrow. My bairn, she said. Give me my bairn that was taken by the fairies after I left him in his blankets by the black cliffs. My bairn back and the harp is yours. Nonsense. He was not anxious to let go of the chubby-cheeked infant held deep in the woods. He ordered a few of the fairies to bring gold, and they piled armfuls of the precious nuggets around the young woman's ankles. Surely, he sneered, that's more than enough payment for a common hack. Ah, I do not want your gold, she cried. My bairn, I want my bairn and nothing else. He clicked his fingers and more fairies brought more armfuls of precious stones, this time of emeralds and rubies that heaped over the gold until 
a great pile of jewels rose to her waist. Without looking once at the jewels, the lass stared at the king with eyes of steel. My bairn, give me my bairn and not else. When he saw that she could not be moved, the king barked. So take the brat, what do I care? Give me the bairn first, then the harp, said she knowing full well that if she let go of the harp first, she'd never see her baby again. The king clicked his fingers. Before long, the babe was brought to his side. At once, the infant recognised its mother and reached out. The lass gripped the harp tightly, her chin up. She repeated, Give me the bairn first. So the baby was returned to its mother, and the lass gave the harp to the king. He struck a few chords, and the purest and sweetest melody ever heard in the fairy kingdom rang out. All the fairies gathered round, delighting in the talents of their new king, clapping their hands with glee. Touching her baby, the last turned from the king, marched out of the fairy man, and headed to the fisherfolk who had cared for her so tenderly. There was much rejoicing in that village on that night, as all the folk gathered around the brave lass who had fought the fairies with all her wit and might to save her wee bairn. And from that day forward, this tale of the stolen bairn and his fearless mother has been passed down from wise woman to wise woman through all the ages. Now, let's take a journey with the buried moon. Oh, a couple of words that you might not know. Mools, they are simply soft, crumbly sods of earth. And a snag is a dead or dying tree. Long ago in my grandmother's time, the carland was all in bogs. Great pools of black water and creeping trickles of green water and squishy mools which squirted when you stepped on them. Well, Granny used to say how long before her time the moon herself was once dead and buried in the marshes. And as she used to tell me, I will tell you all about it now. 
The moon up yonder shone and shone, just as she does now. And when she shone, she lighted up the bog pools so that one could walk about almost as safe as if in the day. But when she didn't shine, out came the things that dwelt in the darkness and went about seeking to do evil and harm. Bogies and crawling horrors all came out when the moon didn't shine. Well, the moon heard of this, and being kind and good as she surely is, shining for us in the night instead of taking her natural rest, she was much troubled. I will see for myself. I will, said she. Maybe it's not so bad as folks make out. Sure enough, at the mum's end, down she stepped, wrapped up in a black cloak and a black hood over her yellow, shining hair. Straight she went to the ball edge and looked about her. Water here and water there, waving tussocks and trembling mules and great black snags, all twisted and bent. Before her all was dark, dark but for the glimmer of the stars and the pools and the light that came from her own white feet, stealing out of her black cloak. The moon drew her cloak faster about and trembled, but she wouldn't go back without seeing all there was to be seen. So on she went, stepping as light as the wind in summer from tuft to tuft, between the greedy, gurgling waterholes. Just as she came near a big black pool, her foot slipped and she was nearly tumbling in. She grabbed with both hands at a snag nearby to steady herself with, but as she touched it, it twined itself around her wrists like a pair of handcuffs and gripped her so that she couldn't move. She pulled and twisted and fought but it was no good. She was fast and must stay fast. Presently, as she stood trembling in the dark, wondering if help would come, she heard something calling in the distance. Calling, calling, and then dying away with a sob till the marshes were full of this pitiful crying sound. Then she heard steps floundering along, squishing in the mud and slipping on the tufts and through the darkness she saw a white face with great feared eyes. Twas a man strayed in the bogs, dazed with fear. He struggled on towards the flickering light that looked like help and safety. And when the poor moon saw that he was coming nearer and nearer to the deep hole, further and further from the path, she was so mad and so sorry that she struggled and fought and pulled harder than ever. And though she couldn't get loose, she twisted and turned till her black hood fell back off her shiny yellow hair, and the beautiful light that came from it drove away the darkness. Oh, but the man cried with joy to see the light again, and at once all evil things fled back into the dark corners 
for they cannot abide the light. So he could see where he was and where the path was and how he could get out of the marsh. And he was in such haste to get away from all the bogles and things that dwelt there that he scarce looked at the brave light that came from the beautiful shining yellow hair streaming out over the black cloak and falling to the water at his feet. And the moon herself was so taken up with saving him and with rejoicing that he was back on the right path that she clean forgot that she needed help herself and that she was held fast by the black snag. So off the man went, spent and gasping and stumbling and sobbing with joy, flying for his life out of the terrible bogs. Then it came over the moon that she would dearly like to go with him. So she pulled and fought as if she were mad, till she fell on her knees, spent with tugging at the foot of the snag. And as she lay there gasping for breath, the black hood fell forward over her head. So out went the blessed light, and back came the darkness with all its evil things, with a screech and a howl. They came crowding round her, mocking and snatching and beating, shrieking with rage and spite and grumbling and snarling. For they knew her to be their old enemy that drove them back into the corners and kept them from working their wicked wills and they fought and squabbled what they should do with her till a pale grey light began to come into the sky and it drew nigh the dawning and when they saw that they were feared lest they shouldn't have time to work their will and they caught hold of her with horrid bony fingers and laid her deep in the water at the foot of the snag and the bogles fetched a strange big stone and rolled it on top of her to keep her from rising. And there lay the poor moon, dead and buried in the bog, till someone would set her loose. But who would know where to look for her? Well, the days passed and it was the time for the new moon's coming and the folk put pennies in their pockets and straws in their caps so as to be ready for her and looked about for the moon was a good friend to the marsh folk and they were very glad when the dark time was gone and the paths were safe again and the evil things were driven back by the blessed light into the darkness and the water holes. But days and days passed and the new moon never came and the nights were aye dark, and the evil things were worse than ever. And still the days went on, and the new moon never came. Naturally, the poor folk were mightily afraid and confused, and a lot of them went to the wise woman who dwelt in the old mill, and asked if she would help them find out where the moon was gone. Well said she, after looking in the brew pot and in the mirror and in the book. It'd be right odd, but I can't properly tell you what's happened to her. If you hear of aught, come and tell me. 
So they went their ways, and as days went by and never a moon came, naturally they talked, my word, I reckon they did talk. Their tongues wagged at home and at the inn. But so came one day, as they were in the inn, and a man from the far end of the boglands was listening, when all at once he sat up and he slapped his knee. <gasps> Listen, you're... I clean forgot, but I reckon I can where the moon be. And he told them of how he was lost in the bogs, and how when he was nigh dead with fright, the light shone out, and he found the path and got home safe. So off they all went to the wise woman, and they told her about it, and she looked long in the pot and the book again, and then she nodded her head. It's dark, still dark, says she, and I can't rightly see, but do as I tell ye, and ye will find out for yourselves. Go all of you just before the night gathers, put a stone in your mouth, and take a hazel twig in your hands, and say never a word till you're safe home again. Then walk on, and fear not, far into the midst of the marsh, till you find a coffin, a candle, then you will not be far from your moon. Look, and you will find her. So came the next night and the darklings, and out they all went together, every man with a stone in his mouth and a hazel twig in his hand, and feeling mighty scared out of their wits. They stumbled and they stuttered along the paths into the midst of the bogs. They saw nought. Though they heard sighings and flutterings in their ears, it felt cold. Wet fingers touching them. But all at once, looking around for the coffin, the candle and the cross, they came near to the pool beside the great snag where the moon lay buried. And all at once they stopped quaking, for there was the great stone half in, half out of the water, for all the world like a strange big coffin. And at the head was the black snag, stretching out its two arms in a dark, gruesome cross, and on it a little light flickered like a dying candle. And they all knelt down in the mud and then crawled nearer and took hold of the big stone and shoved it up. And afterwards, they said, for one tiny minute, they saw a strange and beautiful face looking up at them, glad, like out of the black water. But the light came so quick and so white and shining that they stepped back amazed with it. And the very next minute, when they could see again. There was the full moon in the sky, bright and beautiful, kind as ever, shining and smiling down at them, and making the bogs and the paths as clear as day, and stealing into their very corners, as though she'd have driven the darkness and the bogles clean away.
I hope you enjoyed all of our stories for this month. And if you subscribe to our Patreon page, you can enjoy even more perks and resources. Here's to stories aplenty that fill our hearts with grace and goodness, hope and light, so that we remember, as my favourite poet says, All shall be well, all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. Be well, my friends, be well, and join me next time for Journey with Story. Music and post-production was by Colette Jonas.